Hi, I'm Christy Scarrow, and in this interview series, I'm talking to experts who help leaders to have an impact, gain commitment from their team, and have influence. And today, I'm happy to welcome Simon Cardinal, who's a fellow Canadian. He spent most of his professional career in the Canadian Armed Forces, actually just retiring last year after 26 years. Amazing. So you're retiring and following your passions and I love this concept. So you make sure that someday doesn't become never. So that's that's a great step forward. Also, you're an accomplished speaker and, and podcast host uh, of a podcast called uh, Trench Leadership, and which was actually ranked in the top 20 of Canadian podcasts last year. So congratulations. Uh, Simon helps emerging leaders with inspiration, advice, and practical tools. So welcome, Simon. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate the time for this. This is great. Yeah, I love to love to connect with leaders and who, who, who definitely play in different spaces. And certainly that's your background. Um, I would love to. So one thing and just looking at your, your podcast, some of the topics that you cover, and obviously with your background, you talk about this idea of survivorship bias. What does that mean? Well, well, first, I'd like to say thank you for asking about the survivorship bias is it's something that it is near and dear to my heart. And part of the reason for that is it's so important, but most people don't even realize they're doing it. And the bias comes from the fact that quite often we will blind ourselves to other options that might be out there when we're in the decision-making process or we're trying to figure things out because we're so used to having done things the way they've always been done. And part of our uh, North American, Western mentality of how we, we measure success is based on how things have been done and worked in the past. That's great. That is a good measure for success for sure, but that's for how things were done in the past. Just because mm -hmm. things were done something in the past a certain way doesn't mean we can't open up our minds to look at different possibilities moving forward to be able to do things a new way that will succeed. And the concept of survivorship bias floats around the fact that we spend so much time surviving, knowing on things that we know will survive, uh, a litmus test to be, make us be able to succeed moving forward. And part of the problems with that comes from the fact that a lot of organizations mostly in, unintentionally create a, a mentality, a work organization sense of fear of failure, whereas sometimes we need to be able to see failure as as what it is as a failure but we've also learned from that of course i always like to say when i talk about survivorship bias and failure negligence is different than making a mistake negligence <laughs> is you know if, if you willfully did something wrong that's different but failures are okay we can learn from them and then use that to help us survive and keep going forward yeah i think that's an important distinction and a lot of organizations are afraid of failure and mistakes and they try to discourage your people from making them, but in such a, an opportunity for growth. And I'm, I'm very passionate about biases because I know there's something that we encounter all the time and may not even be aware of them. And I think uh, organizations tend to rely very much on history to kind of plan for the future when in fact, that may not actually be the reality. So that's a really interesting concept. I, I know a lot of your podcast actually deals with emerging leaders. So you must come across sort of different challenges um, uh, you know, that they're facing? What are the big things that you're seeing and hearing from emerging leaders and their challenges right now? So a lot of the things that we hear, and I'll start by saying again, I apologize. Thank you for the question. It's interesting about how you said, what are emerging leaders facing? Quite often, emerging leaders are facing the same types of fears that 
most leaders are experiencing. There's a fear of failure, a fear of succeeding. There's guilt and there's you know, all the, the concerns of not knowing about what they're going to be able to do, fear that they're not coming to different things. There's that fear factor involved in many, many things that come forward. But the interesting part of that is that subset of fear, there's a lot of different things that come out of that. And it, that, that, that's where we have we, a lot of the conversations turn into things like communication and how to understand what's happening inside themselves and their teams. And it, it kind of blows from that. It's interesting. You said fear of success. I'm intrigued by that. What does that show up like when people have this fear of success? So a lot of people that have the fear of success think that what, from what I've heard, and this is based off, this information is coming from other guests that I've had on the show. A lot of times people are afraid of succeeding because it, it builds a standard of, oh, if I, how do I word this? It, it builds a standard that they have to always succeed. And then the more they succeed, they have to build on that and they build on that. And then it just turns into this, this fear of succeeding and what happens if the eventual failure happens. So it, it, it's all interconnected. It's very interesting. Hmm, yeah, I guess, that, I guess that's sort of about all the pressure that gets built on you when you've shown success. People are like, oh, they can do it. So they give you more and more and more. And then you're like, at some point, this is going to break and I'm just not going to be able to you know, keep succeeding like I've been doing. So that's an interesting one. I hadn't thought about that as a as a fear, you hear people being afraid of failure, but less so about uh, about success. It's an interesting concept. So I'd love to hear too how you kind of bring to life the learnings that you had in the armed forces to now how you support emerging leaders. With some of the lessons there. Yeah. So interestingly, so after I, I, I was in the military for twenty six years, which is a fair amount of time. I like to say that it was my entire adult life. I joined when I was a nineteen year old kid. I didn't really know anything. Uh, I started in the infantry. It was very uh, stereotypically macho at the time. And so it was a lot of fun. I was a 19-year-old guy. I got to shoot guns and throw grenades and, you know, do all the stuff you do in the infantry. And then eventually you get a little bit older. And I was going to get, I was getting married. I was going to have a child. You get the idea. And it was time to do something else. And in the Canadian military, there's a program whereby you can switch trades. So I, I did that and I ended up joining the Air Force in a, a maintenance trade. Ooh. And that was really cool. Uh, but, you know, you're still doing all the different things and whatnot. It was in the Air Force where I really started getting a lot of my, my leadership, my formal leadership education, my leadership training, rather. And if there's one thing that you can imagine in the military, it's all about leading with your brain. Very directive. They talk about transformational leadership and it is there to a certain extent. But for the most part, it's still a, a very clearly defined chain of command and very clearly defined hierarchy. And so that, but that was, that suited me just fine because it's the, all that I ever knew as an adult. Flash forward 24 years, and I actually had started a Master of Arts degree in leadership at Royal Roads University, which is out west in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. And as a civilian school that I was going to, and all of a sudden, I had been opened up to this world of leading with my heart. And, and I was like, this blew me away. And, but, I, but I also had enough wherewithal to know that I couldn't really do the two things. It couldn't be one or the other. I had to find Simon's way of leading. So I found a way to blend the two. And this is where I ended up. And when I, when I realized I had this leadership style floating around within me, I knew it was time to go do something else because I couldn't fully lead with my brain and I couldn't go the other direction just because after 26 years in the military, it wasn't going to happen. And, and so I decided to 
go and do some other things, but I didn't know exactly what that was going to be. In the middle of all of this happening, uh, I was doing very, very well, very well in the military and uh, things were only going to get busier. But what I realized was, as you had mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, that I wasn't following a lot of my passions. That like in the movie Night and Day with Tom Cruise, when he says someday is just another word for never, I really didn't want to my passions to be never. So that was a main part of me retiring from the forces. I now work for a company called Callion as a contract manager. That's great. It pays for the bills. So because my daughter, my 19-year-old wants to be a veterinarian. But now I, I've gotten back into flying. I'm a private pilot again. I, I ride my motorcycle more. I run more. I, I do all these different things. I have my podcast uh, that helps emerging leaders. And I wouldn't have been able to do any of those things if I hadn't realized that following these passions was so important to me. And what I've realized after the words, which was an accident, is that following these passions has made me a better leader. It's made me more passionate in all of the things that I do. And so it's just been interesting how everything is interconnected. I know that was very long-winded. I apologize for that. No, no, that was, that was very insightful. And what I'm wondering, and you probably started to answer this, but I'm thinking about you know those individuals and those leaders that, that feel like that heart stuff is kind of fluffy. And, and admittedly, I would be in a similar boat, probably in a younger self as well. It's just like, no, no, let's just get, you know, heads down, get the work done. Um, and so finding, you know, more opportunities to, to lead with your heart and recognize the benefit and how other people think differently, something I've learned. Uh, so I'd love for you to share some of the insights of when you suddenly, you know, got into this program that was very different. What are kind of the, the key things that you would say to leaders who feel like that stuff might be a little fluffy and not very useful? My, the number one thing I would say is when you're, when you're in a position to learn about these types of opportunities and these types of leadership styles is go into it open-minded. Because I, I didn't. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. When I first started the program, the master's program, my goal in life was to put post-nominals at the end of my name to help further my military career. Mm-hmm. And, and then the program is a blended online program with two two-week residencies. I showed up to the first residency and I was convinced I had no reason or right to be there. I, mm-hmm. I did not, I, I do not have a, an undergrad degree. They, the program allows you in based off of your prefer, personal and professional life experiences. So I showed up in British Columbia, convinced that everyone was going to not like me because I was in the military and I had no degree and I didn't have any experience. And then they sat me down and the, the leaders of this, this program, like everyone deserves to be here. And you all deserve this right. You've earned the right to be here. And this was the beginning of, this was for me, a leading with my heart moment. They were leading with their hearts. I said, okay, all right. They can sit down and have an actual adult conversation with me and still use their heart to profess their their emotional side of this. I was like, okay, this, this does work. And so that was a big part of that. As we progressed through the different days and whatnot, things became a little more obvious that this was going to continue working because in the cohort that I was in, there were no other military members. And that actually worked out very well for me because what I saw was I was finally outside of my own little military bubble. And when I was able to see other people leading with their heart and speaking from their heart and not being ridiculed for that, not that that's how the environment is in the military, but you you just don't speak from your heart very often. And but people were willing to take that information in and learn with that and then make their help make their decisions based off of what people were saying from that, that emotional, empathetic perspective. That was a big eye opener for me. 
So my recommendation to people would be to understand that there's a whole other world that you're maybe unaware that's that's not there. And the information that you can gather from that can actually help you lead with your brain. It can help those those brain-centered decisions. So it's a, it's a it's a challenge. It's tough, but finding the balance is there. It's possible. I, I love that you've had that opportunity to be kind of thrown into an environment that was totally sort of different than what you were used to and that you went in open. Because I, I talk about, I, I like the idea of thinking, we throw around the term like like-minded people. And I, and I try to avoid using that because we're drawn to people like us. But I think it's so important to surround ourselves with different-minded people because then you do go, wow, this is not what I expected. And this does work for me. And and even the way you talked about finding that that Simon way of leading was like, okay, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I'm going to find somewhere in the middle that I know works for me. That's a great lesson to think about. Absolutely. And that was probably the, the hardest part of the first residency was not having those people that think the same way as I do and talk the same way because I didn't have that background. So I had no choice. I had a decision to make. I either can accept the way this is going to be and leap forward and, and embrace everything or not, or, or just hide. I chose to embrace and I'm yeah. glad I did. <laughs> yeah, and clearly, and clearly you're helping others to do the same, which is wonderful. Um, the other thing that I, I know is, is really important, you talk about the, you know, the why and helping leaders find the why. So tell me a bit more about what that means to you and why it's important. So one of the, the main things that I've heard many, many times as I've, I've interviewed guests for my podcast and whatnot is we hear the, 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 the why of things. And the thing about this is it's not just about understanding why something's important. That's part of it. But it's understanding that the people that we're leading today, especially when we're talking about millennials and Gen Zers, is, is the access to the information is so easy and it's just second nature to them. Like even myself at 47 years old, I've had the internet as long, literally as long as it's been around. <laughs> and so I'm still, and after 26 years in the military, I, someone tells me to just go do something. Most often I'm still going to go to the internet if I don't like the answer to try and find it. Well, imagine if you spent your entire life just always having the information right at your fingertips. And I'm using finger quotes for that because mm. quite often if we as leaders don't provide the why to something, the followers, I guarantee it, they're going to go to Google and the first hit that comes up will be the thing that's the truth. That's why the finger quotations, because they'll find the it, which is the, whatever the most popular hit happens to be. So we as leaders, we've, dis we've, understood, we've discovered through the, all the podcasts that emerging leaders, if they want to build team cohesion and they want to prove that they're capable, strong, trustworthy empathetic leaders, the number one thing that you can do with your team is explain the why of everything. You, you almost can't give too much information. It just explain why you're going to be late, why you're not going to be late. Whatever has happened happens to be going on, give that explanation because the people will, they, everyone's, the, the information is so easy to get to now. And if we don't provide it, they're just going to go find it. And 99% of the time, it's usually the most negative thing possible. So. Yeah, or the other challenge that uh, that we know is that, you know, algorithms and, and social media and even what we search will come back with what we already believe. So if the leader isn't providing direction and, and you know, giving them a, a, a reason to, you know, that's that's common across the group to create that, as you say, team cohesion, the risk becomes, you know, that information is just going to feed 
what I already know is or what I already believe, whether it's true or not. And I'm definitely a big believer in the individual levels of truth. The book behind me is my book, which is called Truth Warriors. And it's all about that concept of, you know, my truth isn't going to be the same as your truth, but I need to listen to the alternative truths if I really want to have a good perspective. Absolutely. And one of the things that we often talk about on the show is you and I can have a different perspective on something. We can not agree on something and neither of us can be right and neither of us can be wrong and that's okay. And ultimately someone's going to have to make the decision. We can't just not have a leader, but if you don't agree, that's okay. That doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means you don't agree and that's all right. I mean, uh, there's there's a, a very large example that we could talk about, it's, it, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, it, but it's all right to not agree with each other. The, the truth yeah. is just understanding the information's out there. I, I'm very passionate about that as well. It's something I, I think is, is so important to keep reiterating, especially to emerging leaders who become our role models, right? It's, if I don't agree with your opinion, it doesn't mean I, dis- I disagree with you as a person, right? I can have disagree- disagreements with your perspectives without, you know, necessarily um, you know, reflecting an, a, your, your character or your flaws or your personality. And I think that's what we tend to do, unfortunately, way too often where we're like, well, he believes this, so he must be like this. And that's, uh, that's an extreme uh, and I'm sure we're probably thinking of similar examples, but which we don't have to debate in the time we have. But um, the one thing I do want to loop back to, Simon, because uh, I love the idea of you're you're following your you know you're following your passions. You're like I'm ready to make a move, and I want to do the things that I know I'm passionate about because I want to make sure that what's left in my time here is going to be spent on the things I love doing. So why for you? How does that relate to how you support leaders and what's important for leaders? Oh, <clears throat> uh, well, so th- I think the big thing is, is, well, I, I guess I would say I have two points with that. The first one would be that I'm doing it. I am able to follow my passions and still make a, a, a decent salary where I'm able to make sure my daughter goes to a university of her choice and pay for veterinarian school down the road. I, I'm able to follow that path, these passions of mine and do that. So it's not impossible. Quite often we get bogged down on the need to get to the next level in our job or reach the next goal or whatever that may be. And in doing so, often it, that's not the passions that we have in life. I was able to be on, and, and with that in mind, I was able to be honest with myself when I was at the point in my military career where I really needed to decide what I wanted to do, was this, was my career a passion of mine anymore? Because for many, many years it was, I loved, and don't get me wrong. I love being in the military. I, it was, it's a, a very long history in my family for that. I really truly believe that I was helping people in, in many different occasions, but it was just time to go do something else and not even necessarily something more for me, but just to go do something else, follow passions, a new passion may be a better way to word that. So I'd like to think that I'm an example for others to see that they can follow their passions, that you can do all of these different things. Keeping in mind, I would like to point out that there's always a balance. Figure it out what works best for you, and then you'll be able to go in and do these different things. That's, yeah. that's, that's my thought. Yeah, I think it's important to, you know, to think about the fact that is the work you're doing bringing you joy and maybe not all the time, but but most of the time or some of the time, enough of the time that you can, you know, and if it's not, are you finding hobbies or other things or things to consider 
to, to supplement that um, because there's always that balance between needing to pay the bills and doing the stuff you love and finding ways to do more and more of, you know, being able to accomplish both those things at the same time. I think it's really key for young people to realize that it might not be right away and it might not be all the time, but uh, I think there's opportunities to definitely do the work that we love and live out our passions in one way or the other. Oh, very much so. One of the, the interesting statistics that I came across was that 76% of later later millennials and Gen Zers, their number one career requirement at any organization is to get satisfaction uh, that they are helping the environment and society as a whole. That's not It's not like it used to be where it was get a good job and make more money. And then if we happen to help society, fantastic. The number one thing is to make sure they're, they're contributing to the world and the environment around them. So to an organization, I hope, I hope they hear that statistic. And to an emerging leader, understand that, keep in mind, you, you, you can get to that point, but you're new, probably new to the organization. So give yourself a bit of time. There's still the hard work involved to get to that point. You'll get there. You just got to have some patience. Yeah, I agree, though, that that idea of connecting purpose, individual purpose to the greater organization purpose is something that's going to become more and more important. It already is important because millennials now are a big part of the workforce. And Gen Zs are obviously on their way in. So if not already there. Um, so I think it's like if you don't offer some sort of connection back to individual purpose or about sort of the why for them, then uh, I think that's what part of the challenge is. So, 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 well, thank you so much, Simon. This has been really insightful. Really, what I do want to say is, is there anything else I didn't ask you about or you think is probably important to share with emerging leaders as part of our conversation? No, I think this has been very thorough. We discussed the why of everything and we discussed the need for the have those passions and how you can actually get there. So this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Well, Simon's podcast, I'll make sure I include the, the link to that in the description so you can check out uh, some of the things he is providing out to the world to help emerging leaders. But thank you so much, Simon, for your time today and for sharing your insights and being part of the conversation. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure.